Welcome back, Pop Ninjas podcast number 12, the Slice and Dice podcast number 12. I always forget that we actually sort of changed the official name. A podcast of the Pop Ninjas, the Slice and Dice. Yes. Um, Which is a fitting title or, oh, for this week, this, actually for this podcast. I didn't consider that, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's October, it's two weeks till Halloween, and we're going to talk all horror stuff today. Yeah, they're Total dedication to all things horror, a genre you and I freaking love. What are your memories of Halloween? My memories of Halloween were were of you mean the day or the, the well, month as a kid. of the Just season? As a kid. For me, it, it was always about the colors of of catching the uh, Charlie Brown Halloween and the, the Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown. Did you get into? The whole costume thing, is it something that you like would start thinking about and planning out? Oh, fuck out, no. I, uh, I grew up in the day and age where you bought that box that had that horrible plas- that the plastic mask <laughs> and the rubber band on the back yeah. in that sheet. So, like my Stormtrooper <laughs> one. I had the Stormtrooper one, and the sheet thing you wore was a photo of a Stormtrooper holding the gun. So, it wasn't even like it was the costume, right. it was a photo of a Stormtrooper. And at, about halfway through, that band would break, or the. the it would yeah. pull up from behind the staple. And so, so yeah, I, it didn't matter. We had like four blocks walked around. We'd get a shit ton of candy, and we were good. And then that was candy craps. For the next three weeks, we'd play candy craps with that bad boy. Really? Oh, we'd gamble the candy away. We'd, we'd create some craps game to gamble the candy away. Nice. Yeah, for me, it was it was all about the little plastic mask thing in the box, too. Yeah, do you remember those? You go, oh, absolutely. You, you go into the K-Mart or wherever, there's the big just wall displays yeah. of these things. Yeah. And you go and you, you they'd do have they them. they still put, make them? Oh, now they, 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 not the plastic mask. They, they're more almost like a resin-based, and the costumes are the costumes. Like the, the, But they also were like 10 bucks for a freaking costume. Not even. I bet those things didn't cost 5 no. Looking back, and now these the costumes like that are still going to run you thirty or forty bucks. Yeah, I, I remember the one that sticks out in my memory is one year I was Incredible Hulk, and I had the Incredible Hulk. Oh, mask. dude, yeah. I... But we sort of uh, we sort of modified everything else. You know, we had like the the ripped torn shirt mm-hmm. and then stuffed it with some padding to make it look bulky and stuff like that. So yeah, I, I was never part. I, well, I can't say. I never wanted to be part of the crowd that would go out hell raising on Halloween because nah, I never got it. I was never, never the vandal. I nah. never and I never got some because there was always the part of me that remembered being like a like a ten year old and going out with your buddies and hitting those four blocks and having that great pile of candy. You have that one friend who had some assholes jump them and take their candy, yeah. and that never made sense. So when I was old enough to be the asshole, it never made sense nah. as to why you do that. And I didn't get the smashing the pumpkins thing or the fucking shaving cream or none of that made sense to me because right. the the month is too much of a big deal. And again, it's all the colors and God. Every October when Halloween when uh, sorry HBO would shut down at three in the morning. Typically, they'd run a horror movie at like one in the morning every Friday night, mm. so you could close out that 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 night's viewing with just a classic horror movie. Your phantasms or stuff like that. We caught all that shit, or the thing, or any of those movies from the early eighties. Right that was the way to go. Right on. Well, we're gonna talk all horror to some degree tonight. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty all, close. It's all horror. Yeah. If, you, if you squint, they're gonna, every conversation will be horror-based. Yeah, a couple of things might get wedged in with a, with a little bit of uh, 
<clears throat> subtlety. But I am yeah. eating the the least horror horror based food ever, though, in the whoopie pie. It just hit me. Could I have found something less horror than a whoopie pie? It's got whoopie in well, the name it, of it. Yeah, well, it, it, it's not a good whoopie pie. So no, it's, it's pretty more of a shitty. Horrific. Ah, there, right. So there, there's my out. Right. Whoopie pie and fresca. Ooh, scary. Um. So not much in the way of horror news, but a couple things. One, one the uh, the new trailer for Paranormal Activity: The Marked Ones. It's uh, it was sort of marketed as the Latin spinoff of the Paranormal Activity franchise. And after viewing the trailer, um, it, it was when I first heard it was the Latin spinoff. I didn't think it was going to have any tie to the actual franchise. No. I thought it was going to be uh, just a a Latin equivalent. Yeah, uh, if you did a paranormal activity film, because they, they're only kind of loosely attached to... Well, I sure. can't say kind of. Right. But, I thought it was going to be the same type of thing, only with a Spanish film. Right. Basically, found um, uh, um, kind of found footage, you're just running the camera around a bunch of Latinos. Um, I'm actually more intrigued after seeing the trailer. Um, I mean... Call it Chico and the Horrifying Man. Yeah, no doubt. Because um, it, doesn't, it doesn't look like it's fully found footage, which mm. is... Sort of refreshing, um, and it definitely has it has a lot more of a link to the actual paranormal activity chain of events that that, me. than I, I had originally thought. Um, it looks like it really it looks like it really ties right in, although it's an aside from the main story that we're used to. But now it apparently, ties in. the marked ones, the subtitle yeah. means something in terms yeah. of the series. And I don't know. I'm intrigued by it. Um, I know that, the, for me, I really enjoyed the first Paranormal Activity. Um, and I know I know there's a lot of, of internet flamer out there that, that just likes to roll off like, this is unoriginal and stupid and isn't scary and stuff. Whatever. Um, I got a lot out of the first one. It was cheaply made. It was, uh, but it was a good throwback, just bump in the night horror yeah, it, type thing. Yeah, second one was essentially the same stuff. Uh, With a pull vacuum. Yeah, a lot of people liked it, but it really was really didn't do anything. It was the third one that I actually liked a lot because it started to move the story forward. Mm-hmm. It started to give some backstory on the girls and stuff. Um, <laughs> speaking of horror, you don't want you don't want to start that battle. No, I don't. I, I, <laughs> I I'll call it truth right now. Yeah, moratorium on that stuff. Um, and then the fourth one, which I know you didn't see, was just absolutely abysmal. It had, it had no link to the story. Uh, it was just, it was kind of like, well, we don't really have any ideas, so let's just throw the same shit out there um, with a whole different family that doesn't really have a, a big link to well, the whole thing. It, but by the time the fourth one was done, they had officially become the October franchise, right? Which is why it's interesting that this is the first year in a few years without a PA movie. Well, and I, I have to wonder. I mean, I know it's coming. Um, I'm not sure when. Did they? Did they? Did they just lock it in for next October? The new PA. Yes, yes that's PA my five. understanding. Is it is? And, but then they said that they were going to have this spinoff, um, the marked ones, which we now see is um, directly linked to the Paranormal Activity mm-hmm. franchise. So, at a weird time of year, though, well, January, which. Which signals, I mean, January is a is a horror dump month. 
Yeah, it's typically. been the Underworld movies, and as we saw today at the, with the trailers, apparently I, Frankenstein, again, yeah, the Underworld that's when producers the right are rolling came it out. out. Yeah. That's when I think The Devil Inside came out. Things like yep. bad horror movies. Um, I don't know. I'm intrigued by what they're doing with this one, looking at the trailer. Um, I'm, I'm no more intrigued than what they'd be doing with any of the paranormal stuff, but it, it looks a little different. Yeah. I mean, it looked like there was some... Some stupid stuff in there, like you would think. But it looked like they're, you know, if, if it's going to help move that franchise and the storyline forward or give us some more context around what's going on with this family, I'm all for that. Because mm-hmm. that's what PA4 didn't do. And I thought PA3 did do. Yeah, I, and you know, I, I before we started the podcast, I made the comment that PA4 is now on... Is now streamable on Netflix, and realistically, I have Netflix. I probably I just watch it to say I have. My, my issue has been that, that the PA films don't play out at all, really, unless you're in a theater. With the, it, it, oh, it's no. more with the audience because there are people that do still freak out from these movies, which I find laughable. But um, you can feed off that at least and get more of a horror experience in a, in a jump scare manner. I mean, right, that's what that's really what it is. Um, you know, but I'm. I'm down with seeing it. I mean, first of all, it's January. What else are you going to see other than Depends Oscar Depends on the Oscar movies. Um, and I'm a little concerned about that, specifically because I know that, like, um, Short Term 12, I believe, is getting a lot of Oscar buzz, and it's showing at the Nickelodeon right now, mm-hmm. and I'm afraid that that one's going to go away real quick. Um I know Cinemagic typically will, once there's the buzz around that, they'll bring start bringing stuff in, but I'm always... Concerned that of missing because last year I hit it all. There was nothing I didn't see. Yeah, the only movie I hadn't seen was Amor. Amor, which I would still recommend you check out at some point. Um, this year I, I don't have any idea if I'm even close to being on Oscar track. I mean, it's early yet. There, there's there is there's always there's been some buzz on certain movies for the past five months, but you flat out don't know until it gets closer. Um, I know I really need to see like the way way back and and yes you do the spectacular now and yes you do. Um, anyway, Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. Uh, if you're a fan of the franchise, it's probably you, you probably uh, want to check this out. I'll check it out just to see if it gives us any more context around them. And honestly, like we said, it's January, so it, it, whether or not there's even good... If you're looking for a movie, it may be worth checking out anyway. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> it's possible that a British scientist has found the answer to the Bigfoot or the Yeti mystery. A British Oxford scientist, yes. if I'm not mistaken. That so means he's we're extra not, smart. Right, we're not talking just some... Oxford's like the MIT of, of England. Yes, it is. Yeah, it, it's what? he From hair fibers and different samples that he's found at places where there's been sightings, he's basically, quote-unquote, broken the genetic code down and, and suspects that the Yeti, as people have seen it, is some type of a bear. But we're not talking regular bear. We're talking a, a hybrid of... Like a brown bear. Old and polar bear. Some type of old polar bear that we thought was extinct for hundreds of years. That apparently the two got together and created this other, I don't want to say race of bears, but this other type of bear that's been 
heretofore unseen. But he's, uh, this was sort of specific to the Himalayas. It was. The abominable snowman. It was very Yeti. specific. And that's why they're, they're even calling up the polar bear link, because I guess at some point there was a type of polar bear that they know existed in the Himalayas that they truly believed was extinct. Right. But if he's correct... It would point to the fact that these things probably have existed more recently than people realize. Enough that when they got with enough of these brown bears that they've created something else entirely. Right. Which is also a bear that apparently can at times walk on two legs. Well, most bears can get up on two legs. And if you're in some sort of blustery, you know, up in the mountain type thing, which I don't know why you would be, but I guess people do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I suppose you could mistake something like that at a distance or something well especially yeah if you're sitting and you're and you're if, this isn't a bigfoot situation where by now and again i would love to find out that bigfoot is real i'm the I first would to go on record to say fascinating if bigfoot is real it would be the ultimate scientific it's story not. it's not it can't be it it it's it's not it's it's people passing on stories that that have been talked about only because the Indian nations of this country, before we got here, had been seeing these things. But they've seen plenty of things that we know don't exist. Well, they see lots of things, depending on what drug they're Well, on. exactly. A certain amount of peyote lets you see whatever you want. <laughs> but, and, but So it's not out of, the, out of reach to get to that point where you get where people come up with the image of a Bigfoot. Mm. But in the Himalayas, we're talking some... There are some parts of the mountain that people have never... Of those mountain, mountains, not that mountain, that people have never stepped foot on. You could buy that there could be some type of bear tromping around up there sure. that we don't know exists. Right. That's not hard to, hard to believe. Right. Hell, wasn't it just yesterday that they made an announcement that in Brazil they've discovered some new kind of... of of animal that lives in, the, in the, the the rivers that they're just basically calling a river monster at this point. The care. nicknaming a river monster was on Yahoo, oh. and it, it, that, I think they said it was some type of reptilian thing that we had never ever known existed. So you can buy it in these remote areas. The issues all have been when you're talking about Oregon. Now right. we've had people living around Oregon for years and years sure. and years, and. Again, you go back and, and you I know you and I have talked about it before. You go back to like in the eighties and the and the heyday of Ripley's Believe It or Not and thing and, and when they do like the Bigfoot ones, the guys that were walking down paths and saw something brown chucking rocks at them and stuff mm-hmm. scared the shit out of you. It's mm-hmm. freaky shit. But if you really look at it with a critical eye, it's kind of hard to make the leap that there's something running around out there. And despite these scientists coming forward and saying that they've got the proof with that horrible video Uh, that came out two weeks ago. Well, yeah, the the Chewbacca. Of the dude in the Chewbacca costume. What I don't understand is that the... Still, the best footage of any of these supposed sightings is the one that exists from 1967. Oh, the Patterson film. Absolutely. Of the one walking through the riverbed. In, in a day and age when your camera, the phone in your, uh, or the camera in your phone can tape in high definition, mm-hmm. the fact that you still can't get more than a fuzzy image and stuff, as soon as you throw fuzzy image of me, you've lost me. Yeah. It's not 
true. Yeah, it, and, and yeah, and people's bullshit detectors are already going off anyway. So if you're throwing the fuzzy image, you're not helping things. Right. Um, remind me to show you after, uh, just an aside here, the uh, the prank, the carry prank I was talking about. Oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah, dude, it's it's, it's awesome. Um, anyway. So, awesome. But I'm excited, the fact that even if it turns out that the Yeti is some type of bear, that's exciting to me, because that oh, means sure. there's something to it. Sure. Um, and I've always contended, there's nothing, there's no Bigfoot in the, in the Northwest, or, or any place that they've allegedly cited it, uh, because, because we have no proof. It, at some point, at some point, even a moose wanders into Portland. Right. Okay. At some point, a Yeti or a Bigfoot or whatever is going to wander somewhere where it, it shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Okay, I can't imagine if these things exist that they're uber-intelligent uh, well, that beings. Was, that was literally going to be what I'm going to say. The, the challenge to that, that some Bigfoot people say, unless it's of much higher intelligence than we give it credit for. And you're right, I've got no challenge for that. And again, I would love... To, to, quote a, uh, to quote a line from a very oft-quoted show from Nerddom, I want to believe. But the fact of that, and I've got many, many books on Bigfoot, but only because I'm so fascinated by the legends yeah. and, and, and things like that. It, it, to me, it's, it's the same as hearing a good ghost story. Now, do I believe in things that go bump at night? Certainly. But I also believe that just as many, if not most ghost stories if you really break it down, will prove to be something that's that's either natural, or well, either or nothing, that are natural and scientific. There's something sure. else. And I also I also believe to some degree in that, uh, in the spirit realm, I guess, but I also believe that the human mind is a very powerful tool mm-hmm. that we can't even fathom what, we can't even wrap our hands around what the human mind's capable of Dude, thinking. Dude, we really or can't even explain or... memory at this point. No. How can you? How do you have mental images of things that are just totally electronic impulses? Yeah, it, we have theories, but we don't know for certain sure. what any of this is yet. Dreaming, all that. Yeah, it's just fascinating, though. It's absolutely. Oh fascinating. hell yeah! But yeah, we'll know. We'll know a spirit world. The only way we're ever going to know is when we're dead. Right. That's that's the true calculation. You can't ask anybody who's dead. No. And, you know, I'm not willing to die just to find out. <laughs> no, that would be a horrible way to do research. Way to commit to it. All right, so uh, let's let's break here real quick. We'll, we'll put you, uh, put a sounder in here, and we'll talk a little bit about some of the, uh, the horror flicks we've been checking out lately. Uh, See if uh, some of those are worth your time or not.
So, a horror version of what we've watched lately, and I think it was, we'll start with some of the TV, um, which fall into the horror genre, technically. Uh, it tends to season. Um, I, well, I would contend that at least, well, of the two that we're going to bring up, you could argue they're better than some of the horror movies that have come out in the past five or ten years. Uh, some of them, yeah, absolutely. Um, the Walking Dead... Has restarted. Yeah, we officially are one episode into the new season. Um, yep. And uh, you weren't you weren't doing cartwheels over the premiere. I was I was like, all right, uh, whatever. It, it's a premiere. Um, I uh, I enjoy The Walking Dead. I mean, for me, there's there's nothing. It's only horror in name because there's zombies in it. I right. don't. I don't really look at it's any of this as horror. Yeah, it's definitely about just how humans would would react when yeah, society, society is breaks, breaks breaks down, um, and which is for me is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I like The Walking Dead quite a bit. I think it's it's really entertaining stuff. Um, I, I want to see where it goes from this point. It started out. Okay. You know... It sets it up. It sets up the season. I think my issue I've got with The Walking Dead, and this is more uh, of a comment on the people running it, is it takes you an episode or two to get into the eye of the newest person that's producing the goddamn show. Mm. Because they turn it over so often. And so I swear, each first... Each season premiere feels a little different than the last. And it's not any knock on the character. It's just because they they're shot a little differently. They feel a little different. There's a, a little. There's certain details that each one looks at differently. Right. And, I, and I think that was more of the unsettling part for me. I like the episode enough. I'm not sure that we got anything in this episode. No, we just we added a bunch of people. Um, yeah, which we knew we were going well, to. Well, we anyway. knew we were going to add Woodbury, and we were uh, the people from Woodbury. Um, and this this one seems to start about six or eight, six to eight months beyond where the last. I think they even off. said the term number six um, months. You know, so they they have more of a. It looks like they have more of a community mm-hmm. going now. They have uh, the start of sort of like a almost like a government structure yeah. where there's there's or people in charge that make decisions and stuff like that, which which you know gives you I guess a little bit hope that some humanity still. And it sounds like people are now taking on certain jobs and yeah. roles inside the town. Yeah. There are people that deal with the farming. There are people that deal with punching the uh, basically stabbing the walkers through the head against the fence. That would be a fun job to pull. I, I personally would. That would be my preference. Right. As long as I had something long that I could poke them with. Right. Like a good Loki pokey stick would work or something. Right. Um, Rick, the little Rick side storyline with him... Wandering off into the woods and running across Psycho Chick out there. I, I've come to grips with that one a like little that, more. But, but I was like, nah, whatever. Well, it, it, you know what it was? is He's seen so much that th- there's that part of me that says there's no way in hell he would follow this trick. Especially when she's borderline babbling incoherently. Right. But then there's the other side of me that says... Unless her story's true and she's flat out losing her mind because now we're what? A year and a half into the breakdown of society, or a year, or some some number like that. If you have these people that are still stuck out in camps out in the middle of nowhere in tents, 
their life at some point is probably going to end, and not in a pretty way. No. So you, I suppose you do need to look into their situation. At least they didn't have them act stupid and get caught by her. That would have been a problem. That would have been a problem. I thought it was... I thought... I thought giving her back the knife was a poor decision. Yes. Don't know what that was all about. Um, especially since you're intentionally going back to quiz them with certain questions to see if they're legit. Mm-hmm. And the kind of people you want to bring back. Yeah, I'm not sure I would have done that. But uh, um, it was interesting. It's a good setup for the season. Yeah. We'll see what happens. It, I'm interested to see what all the walkers... Uh, you know, descending upon well, and the that's, that's the thing, about. because they did say that they, lately it's just like it's a never-ending stream of them. Yeah. And and I will say that, that the, the scene with going into the woods to help that chick certainly does, and this is how I've really come to grips with it. And because, like you said, at first I wasn't that impressed with this episode. It's the idea that Rick knows that he now has to start looking at the fact that we are now not just seven or eight people. We are a community. And we need to start figuring out who we can safely bring in and who needs to be left the fuck out in the woods. Right. And because they're at that, that point. Right. They're at the point now where you have X amount of space. You're starting to become a little self-sufficient, but you still need to pick and choose. And that's where I said, okay, then I get him going out. But yeah, the walkers, that's an interesting spin is the walkers coming out of nowhere in the... Either airborne or waterborne sickness that I'm thinking it's going to be waterborne. It looks that way. Especially with the end scene in the shower. A lot. But it also affects Only animals. That dude? Yeah, well, that's going to be the end because that dude and the pig. Right. Um, Just one dude. So there's got to be some so playoff as to why. Right. There's got to be something behind it. But they did spend plenty of time. And here's the other catch. Is it water? Because that's also the same dude that Daryl was eating and he went and shook the guy's hand, took his hand out of his mouth, shook the guy's hand, and the guy put his own hand to his mouth. Is it something to do with Daryl? Is it something that's on Daryl? Because that, at the end of that episode when that came up, I'm thinking, that Daryl scene now plays like there was more to it. Then just, which to me is a cool angle, that Daryl's become this almost folk hero and is so totally uncomfortable with it. Right, um, and and we're at the point in the show that is that's beyond the point where I've read in the graphic novels. So I don't at this point I don't even know where it goes. I did like uh, I did like Carol and essentially her fuck story time time oh, to learn dude. how to use knives. Yeah. yeah, Carl going and saying that the story time that his dad wants to go to be, go to just so he can be a kid every now and then. Becomes not story time anymore. It's, no, it's survival time. Right. These are what you need to know. There are time for stories. There's time for knowing how to save your ass. Right. Um, and I, I did like that. I'm, I'm actually starting to come around a little more on Carol now. As I hated mm-hmm. Carol back in the uh, season two. To find Sophia yeah. days. Yeah. And I hate everybody else because it's your fault. Sophia wandered off. Yeah, Bullshit. I hated that. But yep. uh, but I'm coming around on Carol now. Carol's uh, getting a little more to do. And, and yep. But, uh, and I'll, oh, and Michonne. I love Michonne going after the governor on her own. But I'm glad that this season's beginning with her basically coming back from like a six month tour. And maybe that's what the reference was: was Michonne being gone for X number of months, mm. but coming back because she can't find him right. and is at least going to regroup with these people until she sets out again, right. considering herself part of the unit. But still, she's got she's got revenge to deal with. Right. 
Cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see what happens next. Also, something I'm excited to see what happens next, we're two episodes into American Horror Story Coven. Mm. And after two episodes, I am way more invested in this season than I was in either of the first yeah, I, 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 To me, this was a make-or-break year for this show. I, it was on a real short leash. I think it has the potential for being the best and most coherent and cohesive season. Yeah. They've they're got a story, fascinating characters, with some horror element to it. And what's interesting is, I think they're doing a great job with the visuals that meaning something this mm-hmm, year. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I, 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 I am so committed to the cast of this um, one, too. Oh, yeah. The, the cast is, is absolutely fantastic. And it, again... Jessica Lang still oh, manages to rise above the great cast that's already there. Dude, she's already, uh, as far as I'm concerned, she's already nominated for an Emmy for yep. this. She is just off the hook. She's clearly decided she's committed to this show, and yeah. no matter what character they put her in, she's going to nail it. And uh, she, dude, does. She, she, she does. She just owns it. it. Um, plus, you add, you add people like Kathy Bates and Angela Bassett mm-hmm. into something, you're getting just top-notch stuff. Um, we brought back Taisa Farmiga. Well, I was going to say, I love the girls in it. The Coven yeah. girls. And yes, even Emma, Emma Roberts. Roberts. She's because it, well. it, as we've given her the douche of the week, deservedly yeah. so. And this, she's a first class bitch. Yeah. And she gets shown over and over again that that's not the way to be in this house. Right. Um, and I, dude, I love uh, Gadbury Cinnaby too. Oh, she's, she's a great. Awesome. Yep. <laughs> dude. <laughs> The whole, uh, the whole arm in the fry later thing. That was thing. a great scene. Yeah, that was... The reminder that she's basically the human voodoo doll. Yep, yep. yep. Um, uh, Sarah Paulson back in this one's fine. Lily Rab, uh, Rabe, I don't know how she pronounces it. Yeah, a haughty nun from last season. Yeah, the, the only one who I didn't like last year, I wasn't enthralled with. The one that could really just go away is Evan Peters. I, I don't know. Fan. Yeah, honestly, I don't know why they're so committed to him, and I really not. I don't care for him in this role. Um, but yeah, whatever. It's the only, I, I almost find him a little distracting because I'm like, hey, you are you were the dude in Kick Ass whenever I see him. But yeah, um, what I think what I think yeah. I like the most about this season so far, and it's uh, granted we're only two episodes in. But we're two episodes into something that I really kind of feel like I, that I understand. I understand what they're doing. It makes sense. You look at the first two seasons and they're like, it was just more of the spectacle. It's like, this is like impossible not to look at, even though I don't know what the hell they're really right. doing. And and I think that season two, to a certain amount fa- extent, failed because they knew that they they put so much freaky shit into season one and felt they had to up it. Well, and I, I I think that this season, at least, I do believe there's a story here. And I can't tell you there was ever a story last season. Well, it, plus, in a setting, if, you, if you're going to lose me when it comes to a horror narrative, stick it in an asylum. Because mm-hmm. it just... The asylum thing for me is just played out. All right, psych, psycho people who died a long time ago. I, even when ghost hunters will go, oh, we're going to this asylum this time. I'm out. I'm checked out. Mm-hmm. I want to see haunted house. I want to see how this affects everyday people. I, I don't. I, you lose me with the whole. Well, and you know what? It's haunted because hospital thing. 
the average person that knows anything about it will fully will will fully agree to the fact that yes, bad juju in an asylum. Sure. You're going to get that. Right. We, what was done in asylums for up until even thirty years ago was borderline barbaric to these yeah. people. Right. We get that. Right. You don't need to keep playing it. There's that because you're not learning anything new here. I have always had a fascination with like New Orleans witchcraft and voodoo oh, yeah. and stuff like that. That's why Anne Rice's The Witching Hour is one of my favorite books of all time. Yeah. And maybe it's like just uh, almost like a romantic element to it in a way. Um, I just I enjoy the hell out of that whole. Just that's. It's because if you're the, if you know people that are into it, they'll tell you that New Orleans is the real deal. Sure, I mean they, there are people down there that still believe all the old ways, oh. and it's very much alive. And the, and to me, that's a lot of it too. Is the shots when they show the girls outside of the coven are absolutely gorgeous. Because one thing about New Orleans is setting because of that, mm-hmm. it does look. It, you look at it and go, 200 years ago it looked that way, and now it looks that way. And this is a city that's trapped in time. I've only been there once, and it was literally it was really a, a stop through for lunch. So my, my experience with New Orleans lasts all of about four hours. Yeah. But yeah, we walked up and down Bourbon Street, had some lunch and stuff, and yeah, it, it, it looks exactly mm-hmm. like it did. And like I said, it, it's, it's one of the reasons why... I, I think I take so much to the Anne Rice stuff, and, and even to some degree the the, the vampire books. Um, it's just got that old New Orleans feel that, that I'm fascinated with, and, and yeah, it's Coven is nailing it mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, um, it's it's by far the best season. Yep, yeah. and, and yeah, that's saying. And something. I hope we it really stays. I hope it stays the course. Yeah, I want it to be sustained. I don't want like it to also only, go off the rails. We're only two episodes in, so there's plenty of time to go off the rails. Mm-hmm. But hopefully they'll uh, they'll see the course. I'm, I'm last season and, and even for season one though we'd started seeing things where you're going. Well, I don't know what's going on. Yeah, but, exactly. And exactly. Uh, there's some weird shit that's happening. We got Minotaur dude, the dude who. But still, I get where they're coming from. If you had the witchcraft element, right. basically, dude who, who fucked one of Kathy Bates' daughters, even though right. she seduced him. Right. So this is Kathy Bates' way of dealing with the fact that her daughters apparently like the black dudes. Right. Kill him, torture him. Yeah, and so yeah, you, they she what cut, killed a bull, dropped the head on the th- dude, and basically made him walk around for the rest of his life in the thing. Right. Um, a movie that we actually saw was it August? Yeah, but it was August or was it September? I don't know. I think I'm it was August. Thinking it was uh, late August, but I thought but it was we, prior to. Yeah, it was prior to World's End. I thought. Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway. But we've had uh, we had a intentionally, We intentionally held off for this specific cast, um, even though even though this has been out for a little while. So I figured we could uh, just touch a little bit on Insidious Chapter Two. Mm-hmm. Um, what I took, and I loved Insidious. I thought that was one of the uh, one of the better horror flicks from. Shit, was it last year or was it twenty twelve? Had to have been twenty twelve. Wasn't last year. It was twenty twelve. Um, I thought it was one of the better... Wait, that'd make it 2011, because last year was 2012. 2011, right. Um, it, it was one of the better horror flicks uh, out there. It was James Wan directed, who also directed The Conjuring. Um, again, it's sort of... 
yeah, there were some jump scares, which you just naturally are going to get in those uh, in these types of flicks. But there was some more inventive stuff, and it and it it had a good creepy tone to it, and it sort of played into the whole bump in the night. There's an entity in your in your house kind of thing, which mm-hmm. I far prefer to uh, you know slashers and shit like that. Um, so I was excited for Insidious too. And while I don't think Insidious 2 reaches the heights of the first one by any stretch, I didn't think... Where I got a few really good scares out of the original Insidious, I didn't get a lot of big scares out of Insidious 2. However, I think what they did with the narrative here in Insidious 2 was really sort of tie up a lot of stuff from the first one. I thought thought the, the connections between the two with this family were... We're done pretty well. They they did a good job of giving a reason for the movie to exist, which yeah. a lot of times with sequels, it's just well, so these things were happening somewhere else, or they just continued happening. And here they actually built a story around and what they wrap you already it did. up, right? But, but but leave you with a way to go forward, which right. I think is great. I think the problem this one had, and it's really not a knock on it, it just kind of felt like Insidious Light. I mean, yes. it, because. The problem we've got is Juan is now becoming known as the horror guy. Even though well, I know he's, also, he's... He's come out and said he's not going to do anymore. Right, which is probably a good thing because between Insidious and The Conjuring, then rolling out Insidious 2, I think we know what he's got in his head for horror. Not a bad thing. He's got a great eye for it. Right. He, he's a great director for it. But, but do you up your game at this point? We kind of know I, I would think so, and and I think that if the, the franchise is going to go on, which I'd rather it didn't, because this is his franchise. Clearly, it's going to. You're right. The way they left it, clearly it can't. And I agree. I'd rather it not, because if he's serious and he's not going to uh, do horror anymore, then I see this franchise just going off the rails. Right. Right. It, it, right now. It, I will say, for me, the story was at least built in such, or added to in such a way that, again, I felt like they had something they wanted to do, and I felt that they were careful to stay true to what they'd already created. Yeah. And that's where it worked. And I like the characters they built, and there's there's plenty of creepy to these stories, too. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't know that I want any more added to it. No, or at least not with somebody who's not going to have the love for the franchise. And, and I know love may be a, a, a heavy word, but I think Juan at least has shown that he cares about what he's putting out for a product. Right. So I, I just assume I'll have it be left right alone. But you can almost say that this this franchise now is sort of sitting in the same spot as The Conjuring. You've, you've wrapped yeah. up a storyline around a specific family, but you still have a group of people who are invested in, in investigating these things that you know are just going to move on to the next one. I would love in The Conjuring, they even reference it in the end, I would love if the next Conjuring would almost be another, would be a reboot of the whole Amityville franchise from the viewpoint of the Warrens. Yes. That, that would, be, would be awesome. And especially to stay true to the article I did for our website, plug our website, we're doing our, uh, each of us have chosen five horror movies, we're choosing five scenes that are our favorites from the movies. I chose Amityville this time. And reading, for that article, I actually read up a bit on the Warrens. And I'd always heard that the Warrens had spoken out against the whole thing. They hadn't. They supposedly, they still claim that what they, well, they, it's now just one of them. What they, that they saw 
the things that the Lutzes claim that they saw, that they felt things in those rooms that the Lutzes claim that they felt, that they basically the one and the, the biggest person who's claimed to have shot down all the Amityville stories that was claiming himself was some, that was some doctor was never ever a doctor that had, had apologized in the media and had to take out articles in the newspaper and everything else admitting that he was full of shit. That it was just some personal gripe he had because he wanted the job of coming in to be the investigator. When he came in with his shit show, George Lutz threw him out and brought, they brought the Warrenses in. So he'd always resented it and he went on a personal trash, a, a trashing brigade. Supposedly the Warrens felt that the Amityville was real. That they, they believed that the Lutzes may have embellished it. Because one of the things I heard is that they she'd asked the Lutzes to supply the hospital records for taking, was it Danny Lutz? Mm-hmm. Was that his name? Mm-hmm. To the hospital when his fingers got smashed and they couldn't supply any. They said they didn't have it. That would be a matter of record. You could have that. But still, yeah, to me... The Conjuring itself opens a lot of doors for what could be good horror. Through the Warrens' eyes. Give me that the Amityville film. Because this is the one the Warrens have claimed they didn't ever want to return to again. Right. And Which would be interesting, too, because I know that... Uh, is it Elizabeth Warren? That sounds right. Uh, well, yeah. The, Mrs. Warren. Mrs. Warren. <laughs> um, I, I know she has some uh, consulting work in on the movie itself... So if she's true that she doesn't want to revisit that type thing, then I don't know if that's the route they would take. I don't know. Um, Either way, it's it's another one of those stories that I would love to think is true, but just just from a fascinating. But but then in the same in the same breath, I'm not sure I'd want that to be true Um, because if that really was true, then then we're all fucked. Well, here's what we know (laughs) is true: we do know that it's a fact. That prior to Lutz's being there, the family before it had been all murdered yes. by the, the oldest son, son? It was yeah. the son. Uh, who then turned the gun on himself. Yeah. We know that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's ever been a statement from the priest that was the one trapped in the room with the flies. Right. We know the Warrens claimed that they, they didn't, that they went into the house. If I'm remembering correctly, they went to the house first time, claimed they wouldn't go back again. The Warrens is. The Lutz has got to come back now one more time. and But still, we're talking within that 20-some-odd-day window. And we also know for a fact that people live in that house today. Right, and claim that they haven't seen anything. Right. Now, the question is, though, would they claim otherwise? Well, if, if, if there was anything in there that was even remotely close to what is alleged to have happened would you still be there now i don't i don't know that the <laughs> me family, no i don't know i don't necessarily but i wouldn't have the been there that's there today is the family that moved Dude, in when i see lots. pig ghosts looking at me through window um, i'm out of there i thought i heard that um i, I yeah I, I, like i said i don't i don't know that the uh the family that's there today is the family that moved in after no i believe it's changed i'm sure it's hands changed a couple times i know they've changed the uh um, the look of the house over yeah. and stuff like that. I, if I knew anything about that movie, there's no way. Even today, if that house was up for sale, I couldn't. I, my mind would play too many tricks on me in that house. It would be a constant source 
running through my head of what I saw in that movie. Well, and let's be honest. I couldn't be comfortable there. Any scientist in you goes out the window in that house. Absolutely. When your heat clicks on, it's not your heat clicking on. It's, what the fuck was that? Yeah, exactly. Did something just creak? Did did that door just... Somebody try to open the door? It's not that your heat clicked on, made right. things just kind of cause a little vacuum. No. But, but your mind will go there. It oh, will, hell yeah. It will go <laughs> to the darkest place possible. And I couldn't I couldn't do it. I I don't even know that I could walk into that house. I couldn't. I, I I'd have no desire to be in that house, dude. I'd be fascinated to like drive by it. Back when it was the old with the Gambrel yeah. style and the, the yeah. old windows and stuff, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I just my mind would t- would overtake at that point. Well, regardless of what my level of belief is, which and I don't believe what you saw in the movie is what necessarily happened there. But my mind would would play too many tricks on me to pull that. It's off. going to fill in the dot, uh, fill in yeah. the blanks in ways that you don't want your mind to fill in the blanks. Right. It would be uncomfortable. It would, yeah, it would, it, no fucking way. But anyway, Insidious 2. <laughs> <laughs> the is, movie that we started talking yeah, about. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's, it's worth a watch. Yeah. It's worth a watch to see how they tie it into the first one and sort of wrap up the, uh, the story around And that certainly thing. give them credit where credit's due because it doesn't just feel tacked on. It feels like, even though it does, this wasn't written until after Insidious was already a hit, a success, yeah. it feels like this was written, this was written before Insidious was ever released, like it was intended to be of yeah. an ongoing story. Yeah. They did a great job. They, they found a good little piece to pick on and really worked it in good shape. Right. Um, I didn't really watch a lot of things other than this. I have one, one real brief mention that technically has some horror elements into it. Uh, I'm not real sure that it, Certainly doesn't qualify as straight up horror, but uh, I, I think it, I owe it to people to to mention it so that they never invest any time in it. And then I know you have a few flicks, and I'll let you run. Which I'll do real quick. I won't. Um, I saw Escape from Tomorrow, which is this uh, this flick that's getting a lot of press out of the festival circuit for being this guerrilla style filming that took place uh, at Disney World. Um, basically in black and white, this dude who takes his family to Disney and you follow him around, uh, around places in Disney world. Um, he finds out that he lost his job, but he never tells his family or he tells his wife towards the end, but he never bothers to tell them. Um, and he's just sort of going through there and all of a sudden he starts seeing some of the, uh, the, the animatronic dolls in Small World sort of have these demonic faces. His kids, their eyes, like, go totally black and stuff. And you never really find out why. And that's why there's, that's why I say there's horror elements to it. Um, because of, like, it's sort of like what's going on with these dolls and the kids and stuff like that. After I watched this, I don't know what the hell was going on. I can only presume that Escape from Tomorrow is meant to mean he's trying to forget the fact that he lost his job. It's his last day at Disney World, and he doesn't want to 
think about what's next tomorrow because tomorrow's reality back to the fact that he has to tell people he has no job, he has to go for a job, whatever. Dude, this thing is a complete waste of time. Which bums me I, out because I will admit to having wanted to see it. Well, because I remember when this thing got the buzz coming out and of the. And just because the I service. say don't see it doesn't mean don't see it. But more often than not, though, my viewpoint goes along the well, way you do, especially I, in movies like that. Full disclaimer: I worked at Disney for nine years. Um, they're talking about how this was shot guerrilla style, and you know, you don't, you can't go into Disney World and just start filming. That's true. But 25 years ago when I worked there, it was a whole lot different than today. And there was nothing in this film that signaled to me that if you were an employee uh, working at Disney, that you would really notice anything going on with these people. Um, they weren't doing anything necessarily risky in the park. They weren't like like setting up shots and stuff like that. It's shot through, you know, what would... what. As an employee, you would look and see oh, just some dude taking videos with his camera. There, there's nothing there that... I, I can see why Disney's not going after them, because there's nothing there. It doesn't even really do anything to damage Disney, which was another thing. It's like, when people are talking about, this doesn't put Disney in, in, in a good light. It doesn't do anything to put Disney in a bad light. It, no, not unless you really want to expand. Wow. He's claiming that all the princesses are whores or something, well, yeah, it, which that, is not the impression I'm getting here. Right. Well, no, th- th- there's an implication there. But still, it's nothing different than reading the Fables comic book and seeing all your fairy tale characters put into real-world situations mm-hmm. and stuff like that. There's nothing there that's damaging to do. Or even if you wanted to go after fan fiction at that point, too. Because there's plenty of fan fiction sure. out there that does the same thing. Absolutely. I, I can see why Disney is not wasting any time with this. Because um, to do so would only bring more attention to it. Right. And and there's just nothing there that, that anybody is taking... Anybody who actually takes anything away from this movie that thinks... That has a different opinion of Disney as a result of this... Well, you're just an idiot to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not, and all these people that are that are so like, I can't believe they they got into Disney and, and shot this in, inside the park gorilla style. Stand down, people. There's nothing here that should indicate to you that this was some risky endeavor by this filmmaker of going in there and doing what he did. It, they they look like any other any other of hundreds of people that are in the day taking video. Uh, videos in the park. Um, it, it's virtually unwatchable. It's it's stupid. It it makes no sense, and it's going to go away quick. All right. That's all I really got. I just felt like I needed to contribute. Yeah. Well. Fair enough. Oh, so I caught a movie that many people probably already have because it it did way better this summer than it was expected. I seen I saw the Purge. Uh, with what? Ethan Hawke, Lena Headey, and some random other people. Basically, the story of The Purge you saw in the commercials is, is the American government, one for basically an eight-hour span every year, has basically what they call it, the annual purge. From midnight until 8 a.m., All everything's allowed. You can kill people, you can do whatever you want. And it's their way of keeping society in check. It's their own version of the Hunger Games, where if the assumption would be the rich people, the ones controlling things, are probably on these houses that are going to be so barricaded 
they're safe. Whereas all the homeless people, those, and I'm not making social commentary here because I'd be on the side of the rich people. Good for them for making that kind of money to afford it. Mm. But all the, the lower income types would be in situations where they probably have to fight to survive. Or at least find places to be to ride it out. And Ethan Hawke is very wealthy. But he's wealthy because his family designs... Or he himself runs a company that designs the security systems to keep people safe. And early on it shows that for some reason, and this is why I didn't get the people in his own town, in his own development, don't really like them. They look sideways at his family. Which is interesting because you know they're surviving because of him. Uh, but the story really spins in as much as the kids don't understand what the purge is, which would go without saying that Kids wouldn't understand it. Well, one of the daughters gets some psycho idea to let a homeless guy who's being hunted down by some people. He hears the guy, she hears the guy screaming in the road, and he does, she does the illogical thing of letting him in the house. The people show up at the door and say, look, we don't want you. We will leave you alone. This is our purge night. The reason that we don't do violent acts is because we're allowed this one kill every year. Give us our kill. Give us the homeless guy back. Well, no one will miss. And we'll go away. And the family tries to find A, where she's hidden homeless guy in the house. And B, do they have the ability to throw the guy back out? So, the commercials make it look like it's the family being hunted throughout. Here's what I'm going to say. You got 15 minutes of that. That's it. This movie, for the most part, is where have the kids hidden the homeless guy in the house because we want to survive. It, it's an interesting idea, but again, it feels like things that you've seen before. The idea of a purge is fascinating, but we've seen the Hunger Games. You get the idea of basically pitting people against each other as a reminder that the government rules all and to keep people in check. There's social commentary here if you want to get into it. I really don't care. It, it's worth a watch. It, it's a fairly innocuous film. There's nothing really horribly violent in it. And I would argue that I would rather have it been more of a violent ending than what you got. And when you see it, you'll understand where I'm coming from. That the ending to me had no payoff whatsoever. Concerning the way it was building up. Watch it. Just don't expect much. Cool. The next movie I'm going to bring up is one called American Mary, which I'd heard of. It's very much a cult film. I still want to see that one. It is a, it's streamable on Netflix. I couldn't tell you a single person in it, even though the lead chick who plays Mary, the plays Mary has been in other stuff before. And she's hot. But the idea of American Mary is you have Mary who's struggling to make it through med school. She's struggling with bills, isn't making ends meet. Because of it, she's also trying to find jobs to help fund her going through med school. So, she knows she's got a decision to make. And she decides to ex go for a job being an exotic dancer at this real seedy strip club. And while she's there, of course, they're grilling her. So, you, you really are going to med school. And she explains her story. And they float an offer by her that for $5,000, she'll do the one job that they have for her. And it's... She can walk away or just take the 5000 and do it. 
The $5,000 is, you're a med person, torture this person. Keep him alive, make him feel the pain. And she takes 5000 bucks, gets her bills caught up, and then realizes that there's money to be had here. And the money comes from the underground part of society that are the people that are into extreme disfigurement and it, the extreme makeovers, the people that are getting their, the big holes cut in their, their ears or adding horns to their head or cutting their tongues in half. I was thinking about that myself. The horns would be great. It, it, they, they do have one of the dudes who I've seen in other things raise his hat off. They, they bring in a collection of people like she did it that I've seen in other freak show stuff that are legit. And like there's the, the dude who's got the little holes. Look. It, it's, 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 it's off-putting. Right. But the story itself is fascinating. It, it, it is a bit gross, but it's implied gross. Again, I don't handle the torture porn stuff well. It doesn't play out that way. The story is interesting, but it, yes, I know. Sorry if I... No, that was me. <laughs> oh, what? Just let one go? Yeah, well, I owe you one. Yeah, well, awesome. <laughs> it's worth the watch. It's, it's... You can you when you're watching, you'll get why it's a cult movie. This is no new ground or anything. It's just a fascinating film, and it's fun to see somebody do a different spin on a quote unquote horror movie. So it's definitely worth a view. Um, the last one, on the other hand, is John Carpenter's The Ward, another one I caught on Netflix. And there was a time when you said John Carpenter, and it meant something to horror fans. We got the thing from John Carpenter. We got Halloween. Carrie, I want to say, was John Carpenter. Even Prince of no, Darkness. Carrie was John Landis. Was it? Oh, that's right. We we looked that one up the other day. Uh, the Fog, I believe, was the Fog was the one. That's right. But about the mid nineties, John Carpenter started to go off the tracks a little bit, and what he saw in saw in horror. And again, the movie that seems to stick in my mind is one called like The Ghosts of Mars that may have had. Ice, who's the chunkier of the ices? Ice Cube? I think Ice T was the one with Coco, right? <laughs> yeah, I think Ice Cube was in this movie. It was a bad movie. And since then, he's done some real shit. The Ward continues on the shit, not scary horror path. It stars Amber Heard. And, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, I'm losing her name. Uh, Fonseca. Uh, Lindsay Fonseca. Lindsay, Lindsay Fonseca. From Kick-Ass. Yes. Again, giggity. But there's... And it's basically... A bunch of girls are in an asylum for girls. And some of them are slowly dying off. And Amber Heard's character sees a ghost and suspects that... Um, I, I, I just got to throw a thing there. Because the whole John Landis thing. Because I've been watching... Uh, the John Landis flicks lately. Brian De Palma was the director of the original Carrie. Oh, as I do as I said Landis, I'm like that doesn't sound right. No, I me. said Christine though. Well, you know, you said Carrie. If, if I did, I meant Christine. Okay, but either way, I'd be wrong. It was the Fog. Well, I don't. I don't know who did Christine. I, I, I but, don't believe but he Carrie did. Carrie was Brian De Palma. Yeah, which... no. And if that was the case, my intent was Christine because yeah, I know De Palma did Carrie. Um, but anyway, so yeah, though, though, there's not much to continue on. It's it, it's basically a ghost is haunting the girls in this insane asylum. <clears throat> it's the stupidest looking haunt ever, and it's not a scary movie. This thing, there's nothing to it. 
If you have Netflix, give it a watch. If you don't, don't even try to find this piece of shit. It's modern John Carpenter, which ain't worth seeing. Carpenter did Christine. So, I was wrong, but right. Sir. I was wrong for retracting my statement, because I, I was thinking the fog. But, or whatever. So anyway, the ward, don't bother. Alright. Um, recommendations. A horror recommendation. Uh, I have one. Alright. And it's a book that I want, I've been wanting to revisit, but it's a book that I read probably uh, probably about 15 years ago now. But I loved it. Um, and it's the original Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Um, considering the fact that I want to say she was about 17 when she wrote it. And it's a quick read. It's, uh, I don't even think it's 200 pages. But it is so well done, and it's just got this good, it's a real good basis for the Frankenstein mm-hmm. mythos. It, and it, it's well written, and it's got uh, a real just creepy undertone mm-hmm. to it. And as quick of a read as it is, it's just, the fact that she got so much content out of a book that's so small was it was fantastic. I love, I love Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the book. Mm-hmm. They haven't. I don't think they've done it justice on screen yet. I know that the they tried De Niro in the one, De Niro one, but that was, was not. horrible. Yeah, in like the mid '90s or mid to late '90s. The, the so. De Niro one, Kenneth Branagh. <clears throat> yeah, and, and you know it's funny. I don't think people give enough credit to the old Gothic horror. Mm. And and I, I've been Stoker's Dracula. I um I remember back in the mid early to mid '90s, back when I was working security for Hannaford, I'd. Do the overnight gate duty, signing in the trucks. So you'd have 20 minutes go by without a truck. You'd sit out there and read. And I remember reading the original Phantom of the Opera. Yep. That's a great book. There, the gothic horror does, there's something totally different about it. Just like if you want to get into the more macabre horror, where you're getting into the Edgar Allan Poe's or H.P. Lovecraft's of the world. For So you're talking turn of the century. They're totally different than what people picture in horror I now, and I don't to. think they get enough credit. That's one that I that's <coughs> on my short list is to start looking at H. Because I've never oh, read I H. Love, Lovecraft. I've got a bunch of Lovecraft, and, and that's that's where I'm heading next. Uh, next on my shelf is Joe Hill's Horns, mm-hmm. um, which is coming. And Joe Hill, of course, is the son of Stephen King. Um, but he certainly has his own career, though. Oh, absolutely. He's he's definitely made a name for himself. In spite of his father. Right. Um, and I know I've read... All, all I've read of Hill so far is some of his graphic novel stuff, Lock and Key, which I'm fascinated with. I love it. Um, and I've heard good things about Horns, so so I'm definitely going to go there. So I guess my recommendation, while, while it's directly Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, is just explore horror literature as much as horror film. Oh, yeah. Horror film has its, thing, has its place, but horror literature, and I'm not talking pop horror literature like King. King has its place. King doesn't scare me. At any level does King scare me. Um, I think I, I, I enjoy some of King's books. I think King's a little long-winded getting to where he needs to yep. get, but nothing about what he does scares me. Um, but some of the old, like you said, the gothic horrors and stuff like that, that's... It allows your mind to wander. What you see on screen is what you see on screen. If you're reading, it allows your mind to wander to those places. 
And, and I think it can be far more effective from a horror perspective in reading that stuff. And the, the one I reference a lot, and it's Lovecraft. I think the story is called The Shadow, The Darkness at Inverness, Shadow of Inverness, where it's basically a, a reporter going to this town called Inverness in Massachusetts that no one seems to know exists. That's some coastal town. Find When he finds the town, he also finds that there's things going on in this town with the townspeople that are unspeakable and that they they may be dealing with another race of people that we didn't even realize existed. And some of the imagery that he wrote of when he's seeing things coming up out of the water or coming down the road, it's scary shit. Mm -hmm. And it, it, I don't, it, and again, like you said, it's no knock on modern horror. But to get the old classic eye, and, and when we, it, it, you almost find yourself getting lost in it. And it's, it's nothing like it. it. And because you're that much more engaged, you become committed to it, too. And that's where the reading of it, to me, is that important. I Yeah, you, you nailed it. People definitely see all the movies you want, but read some of these things, too. There's the, you, you will become more engaged. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm not going to recommend a movie, either. That was the weirdest part ever. I'm going to recommend a certain metal musician from the 80s. And if you've ever seen Clarks, I think it was Clarks. No, Clarks 2. They've played the music in one of, uh, one of the uh, Jane Silent Bob movies. A guy named King Diamond. And King Diamond was from, I believe, Sweden. He's probably most known for the fact that he was, a, it was and is a Satanist. But all of his... Music was horror-based. But he had a two-album set that was Them and Conspiracy. That if you're reading, if you listen to the lyrics and reading the book, is one of the scariest fucking ghost stories you will ever read. To the point where they've done graphic novels on it. They were even talking about doing an, an animated movie around it. So if you really, really want a, to know what horror rock is about, you could go to Zombie or you could go to something older and find yourself some King Diamond. Grab the Them album. The guy's voice is a little off-putting. You have to get used to it. But he does all the different characters in it. Because the Them story is basically... You have young girl and her brother. They're talking to mom. And apparently they're in grandma's house. And grandma's been away in an asylum because grandma killed granddad with an axe. It has been committed for years. Yes, grandma will do. And grandma is being released because they feel that she's now sane. And as the story goes is, with grandma there, she starts hearing grandma talking to things. And she goes to look into this, uh, who grandma's talking to. And grandma's having tea with basically unseen figures. And the tea requires a certain blood ingredient to get these creatures to come. And it's what people will do to find stories from the other side. She and Grandma start delving into this with these ghosts that will give them any story they want, any knowledge they want, if they're willing to sacrifice something to get there. And it is out and out creepy. And the conspiracy story continues on it with 
here's even more of what's going on. It King Diamond's Them album is a fantastic album. Them and Conspiracy, a lot like when you're getting into the Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, there's something very gothic about it. Can't recommend it enough. Cool. All right, we'll take a break here and we'll do a uh, we're going to do a top five horror movie scene. So I've got to trim mine down from nine right now. So, top five scenes from a horror movie, um, and I think we both sort of took a different approach to this. You tend to, you said you uh, tended to stay clear of the obvious, right? Even though one of them will be in a movie very well known. Where I think I, when I took, I took the tact. Well. Yeah, some of mine are probably more obvious, but I also wanted something that was truly, that impacted me directly, mm-hmm. that that I found when I saw them, or I look back at them, and, I'm, and I still get the hair up on the back of my neck yeah. kind of thing. Um, and, and, and certainly, if you go all the way back to the first time I saw these things, um, they're, they're basically, they're basically what I call the oh hell no moments. The, the points in times in the movie where if I am truly living the experience on screen, I'm getting the fuck out. Yeah. I'm not the stupid person in the movie who's like, huh, that's strange. Oh, well, I'll just go back about my business. No. Get the fuck out. Yep. So that's where, where sort of my list was coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, you? You... Any, anything to add? No, any no, actually mine are. Mine, mine aren't necessarily get the fuck out situations. One of them, there's no way the person could. But they're all situations where, when I think of horror movie scenes, these instantly popped into my head as they left a mark. And, and right, they, right. the movie themselves may not resonate as well. And there's certainly going to be one of them you and I have talked about before that we know for some reason didn't resonate with people. But it did for me, and there's a particular scene in the, each of these that stands out. Um, so, yeah, it, they are, in many cases, they're hell-no situa- they're, they're hell no scenes. That In some of them, in one in particular, I don't ever want to return to again. I've seen it a few times, and I hate the scene every time. But it's so well done, I can tell you every single grain to do with it. Right. So, that that's where I'm coming from. Um, cool. And, and I usually have you start first, but I'll start first here this time. Um, when I was a kid, the two things that probably scared me the most, uh, I, was always, I was always afraid of giant monsters... Uh, of the vein of the King Kongs and the Godzillas and stuff. And, that, and those are some of the things I would have the nightmares of, of, of like, you know, giant monster, crush, the Godzilla crushing his way through the city and stuff like that. Those those movies scared me as a kid. I look back at them now that they're a little bit cheesy, but 
the imagery when you're a kid is still mm-hmm. still pretty there. And, and let's be honest, horror resonates differently when you're a kid because oh, your imagination yeah. oh, gets ab- the better of absolutely. you. Absolutely. And the other thing that terrified me was was the as we were talking about earlier was the Bigfoot legends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived I lived in the concrete. I lived in the in the city and stuff like that. So the whole I wasn't concerned that Bigfoot was going to come crawling up on my on my front porch, but uh, I, my cousins, my aunt and uncle, and my cousins, they lived out in the country, and and that was always something out there. I'd be, you know, I'd watch a Bigfoot movie, and then all of a sudden, uh, look at the woods out back. You know, that's not good. Um, but look, Bigfoot stories always scared me mm-hmm. as a kid, and even to this day. You know, Bigfoot is one of, is one of my uh, one of those buttons for me that like just creeps me out, and I'm, I can't wait until uh, Bobcat's Willow Creek comes out because I oh. hope he I hope he does that justice. Um, and, and to that vein, it was a movie that was actually that I saw on television back in the seventies, and you know where exactly where I'm going. Oh yes, I do. And I think we narrowed it down to that we, it was a movie called Sasquatch: The Legend of Bigfoot. And the one scene that I always remember, and I don't remember a lot of it. No, and this always, was even in the trailer. There's a, one scene, and it was like about halfway through the movie, and there's this woman just sitting in her living room watching television, and I remember the light being just sort of dimly lit, so and she hears something outside and just sort of pulls the, the curtain aside to, to see what's out there, and all of a sudden this big hairy-ass arm comes in through the window. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go to the country for months after that. It just, there's no way I'd ever live in the country, probably because of that scene. And, and what people have to understand is, Steve and I have each described the scene to each other. We both remember so, the scene so vividly. Yes. And yet, this movie is barely a blip on the radar, apparently. Apparently, it's on YouTube. A very bad transfer on YouTube. But, yeah, I I don't even know if it was ever a theatrical release. I don't. Know I, don't. I, I thought it was, but at that age, it wouldn't have meant anything to me because I wasn't old enough to be just getting up and going to a movie on my own anyway. Right. So it very well could have been just a TV movie. Right. I, I don't know, but I remember the scene. And I remember there was another scene in the trailer of it walking down the road and somebody almost like running into it. Right. And it getting up and fucking the car up or something. I, it, yeah. This <laughs> this movie left a mark. Um, so that's that's my number five. Well, I love your choice of that for number five because I'm going to give you some backstory of when I was working on mine. I did mine Thursday night, and you still live in the concrete to a certain extent. I live in the sticks, mm. and we have a coyote that every now and then apparently gets close to the house. So literally, as I'm doing my list Thursday night. It's 6.30, at night, and earlier than I've ever heard, our coyote starts howling, and it's on the hunt for something. And I literally, I was in the kitchen, I heard that, ooh, I'm like, what the fuck was that? And I hollered at my wife and said, are you watching something on TV? She said, no, I think our guest is somewhere outside. And I went out on the porch, and it was literally just on the edge of my property, howling like crazy in a hunting mode. So, later on that night, I smelled a skunk. I would say I know what the thing was hunting, but it was, it's, the connection is this. 
the whole idea of living out in the woods and, and these creatures that you you can try to figure out what they are, but still you don't know what they are freaks the fuck out of me. And that's why the Bigfoot one did. And that's why my number five choice is from a movie a lot of people don't remember as being horror, but it scared the fuck out of me from Stephen King's creep show, the fucking thing in the crate. The thing that they find underneath the stairs that it's what, a, a, a janitor's flipping a quarter... And it rolls underneath the stairs, and he looks through the metal grating, and there's this crate that was from, like, a Himalayas expedition. And they bring it out, and he calls one of the professors, and they pop the thing open, and here is this long-fanged, long-clawed creature thing that then feeds on the janitor. And if I remember right, the professor makes a, gets in his head that he's going to bring his annoying wife, played by Adrian Barbeau, back. And it may have been Hal Holbrook, who was the professor. Yeah. And basically chained his wife up and feeds her to this thing. That thing scared the fuck out of me. Because at that point, I did believe that there was a Bigfoot running around the woods. And as soon as the lights went out, those things that were, that, that were just on the edge of the outskirts of town came that much closer. You give me something like that that, I, that could exist, that they could have found and just never told anybody, that scared the shit out of me. That thing in the crate fucked me up for a month. Right. Uh, yeah. And if you haven't seen the thing in the crate, just Google it. Yeah, it's, it looks like shit now. And I want to say Creep Show's on Netflix. Really? But that thing in I the crate fucked me up so badly. I need to revisit. It's been years since I saw it. It was, what, five segments in the fir- in this one. The first one was the, the grandfather coming back from the grave on his birthday mm. and making the birthday cake out of someone's head. <laughs> Second one was Stephen King and the Meteor. The third one was the thing in the crate. The fourth one was with uh, Ted Danson. I can't remember the chicken. Uh, Leslie, it was Leslie Nielsen's wife that he finds out Ted was having the affair with him. So he buries them up to their necks in the, ba- in the sand on the beach and lets the tide come in. Right, right, right. They come back as waterlogged zombies. And the fifth was the, um, oh, what's the name of the guy that became, that had all the money, the aviator that got was Bob obsessed. Hughes, Hughes. And and basically his bug obsession is he gets overrun by cockroaches in his house. But that thing in the crate was, yeah, that was horrible. <laughs> um, my number four is one of those, uh, I think you have to have, it's one of those films you had to have lived as a kid, and you look back on it, and it was just a lot creepier than it probably should have been for a PG flick. I'm talking about Poltergeist. Um, which I'm kind of, I don't think it needs a reboot, but I'm interested to see what they do with the reboot mm-hmm. with, with modern technology and stuff. But considering all of the creepy pieces of that, when you're a kid and you see the clown doll, you see the tree coming through and taking the kid stuff. The one for me, after apparently the creepy old lady cleaned your house, and then the demon or the poltergeist thing takes the kid again, and then that big white spider demon thing that, That's a great that shot. blocks the door and sort of growls at her. At that point, and I know this is not a noble thing, but at that point, if I'm her, I have resigned to the fact that I'm never going to see my kids again <laughs> because I'm getting the fuck out. It is all about self-preservation when big giant spider demon has is sitting there growling. I, I don't. I don't even know. 
I don't even know if you could physically sit there and scream at that point, or if you would just die of the sheer terror at that point. If I saw that, I would probably just end myself right there. Yeah, it, that would. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm I, not, I, I, I'm not going to fight it off. I think you go. You would go flat out, go insane. Yeah, and there's there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You would go insane yeah. from that kind of thing. So, revisit the Poltergeist is one of those flicks that every so often you can revisit it, and it actually still holds up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's still early '80s, some some cheesy stuff in there. But some of the actual horror elements of that, that one specifically, and that and the, the fucking clown doll, who buys their kids clown dolls, that stuff holds up pretty well. Let alone buys their kids clown dolls and puts them on a chair at the end of the bed. Right. <coughs> and I don't know if you noticed that one of the people that's dressed up for the spirit store, standing on the road, is dressed as a fucking creepy clown. And I saw it again today. I don't need to see that to try to get me to go to buy a Halloween costume. Uh, It's a fucking evil, creepy clown. Fuck clowns. It's horrible. Uh, What's your number four? My number four is from a franchise that I actually love. But I don't know that it always played out horror well. And that's Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. But it's the particular scene, the first one, with Heather Langenkamp is in the bathtub and the clawed hand comes up and starts moving towards her. Mm. And I liked it because that to me, my thing with horror is I've, I've always claimed that I like the R-rated horror because you can put people in those situations where they are defenseless a little more with R-rated. And yes, it could be clothing. It could be the fact that you could bring more weapon element to it. Heather Langenkamp in this particular shot though was about as defenseless you can get and it was... It was showing what Freddy Krueger could really do to you. Now, and again, Freddy Krueger is one of those characters that at times there was no horror element to it anymore. It became a joke. The first movie, though, was never a joke. They did try horror, and some of the scenes in it really worked. That one, to me, was incredible. And if you go back and watch the reboot, well, the remake, that's one they tried to capture. I don't believe it was in a tub. I think it was in a bed. And the clawed hand's coming up, moving towards her. Right. So, yeah, that would be my scene. The, the clawed hand in the bathtub with Heather Langenkamp, Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, my number three. Um, my number three was, was one of the creepiest, and this is a recent one, one of the more creepy scenes in a movie I've seen in a long time. And I think it was creepy in what didn't happen as much as what what did happen. Um, and it's going back to Paranormal Activity 3 and that fucking oscillating fan. Yep. <laughs> it is unnerving. And you know it's because you're just sitting there waiting for something to jump out and, and scare you. You know that it's set up for a jump scare. Mm-hmm. But it works so effectively going back and forth that you, the, the tension you feel through the whole process is just unnerving. And the choice of jump scares that they went with on it was effective. Yes. They didn't do a cheesy one. The one they did was creepy as all fuck. Yes. And yes. that that was that to me was a, like an exclamation point on it. Yeah. They could have gone cheap, but they didn't. Right. Uh, you can make noise. No, I know. Aren't you guys going to take a break soon? Uh, yes, in about three minutes. Okay. 
Um, your number three. My number three is a movie that people don't talk about enough, but you and I actually like. Sam Raimi's Drag Me to Hell with the Goat oh. Hooves. Oh, that yeah, goat hooves scene at the door. Yeah. This movie at times plays off a little comical. It's Sam Raimi. Right. But that goat hooves scene underneath the door was brilliant. It was. That was absolutely creepy. And again, and I, again it's about what's, what you're not seeing as much as Right. It it's uh, it's totally implied. You don't want to know what's, a, no. what's from those hooves up. Right. <clears throat> you, you can only imagine it's, it's not a good thing. Yep. Um, my number two... Uh, comes from probably the the most classic horror out there, which I never really found overly scary, and it's The Exorcist. But the one scene in The Exorcist for me is at the, almost at the very end, when they actually exorcise the demon, but then you see the demon trans- like, show itself next to the bed, and it almost looks like some sort of freaking weird Godzilla lizard-looking thing. But after all of that shit... I'd have never gone in the room to begin with, but at the end of all that, if I actually see the demon manifest above the bed, I take the kid. I'm out. Yep. I'm out. That thing. That thing is fucked up. <laughs> it is just unnerving to see the demon manifest itself over Reagan's bed. Yep. It bugs me. I'm not no, that, that, yeah, that was creepy as all hell. Yes. Well, my <clears throat> number two would be a, a scene, actually, in the movie I did do a write-up on. I've got to acknowledge it. And that's the one in The Shining where Jack Nicholson is going at the door with the axe. Mm. And the, the here's Johnny scene or Danny, it's Daddy, yeah. Daddy's home. That scene to me is iconic for a reason. Because that showed the scenes with Shelley Duvall in the corner with Wendy sitting there panicking... They nailed true panic, true fear, like she knew her life was coming to an end. It was as terrified as you could ever picture someone being. And Nicholson jumped into that role so completely, you bought that he was that obsessed with taking him down. So for me, that would be my number two. And my number one is, it's it's the same scene I, I revisit every time I say, you know, the most creepy horror thing I've ever seen, and and I won't deny that it has to be number one, is that fucking pig scene in Amityville Horror when George Lutz comes out of his boathouse with the axe and looks up and you see a giant pig demon staring from the upstairs window down at you. It turns its head and everything at him. Yeah, I, I have to be gone mentally at that point, checked out to even think about going in there. But at that point, if I have any sanity left in me, I've abandoned my family at that point. I'm not going in there. I'm leaving. I'm right. getting in the car. I might not even get in the car. I might get in the boat because it's closer and just leave. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah, unless you read the book and a lot of things happen in the boathouse too. Uh, so yeah. Well, that's my number one. I'm sticking to it. It always has been. My number one is actually in a classic horror well, Classic 70s horror movie, Friday the 13th. But the scene in particular that always stood out was when Jason jumps out of the water and grabs the chick in the boat. The whole pristine shot, she survived. Jason's mom was the murderer. Spoiler alert if you've never seen the original, it was never Jason. But when Jason leaps out of the water and grabs the chick and drags her into the water... I don't know how many times I saw that movie. It scared the fuck out of me every time. And you all, the, you always had that one friend who hadn't seen it that you'd watch as that scene was coming up and see him leap right out of the goddamn chair. Yep. It was perfectly done. That was some scary shit. Great stuff. Great stuff. 
so that's our top five uh, our favorite horror scenes uh, from the movies. Uh, we'll take a break here, and we will be back with our review of the new Carrie flick. Yes, sir. I hate these, our Father's mercy, from his lighthouse evermore. But to us, he gives the keeping of the Picking up after school. The other kids, they think I'm weird. Carrie, favorite poem? Did you bring one? I don't want to be. I want to be normal. Wipe that smile off your face. I have to try and be a whole person before it's too late. <laughs> Help this little girl see the sin of her days and wife. She's made innocent. The curse of blood. Mama, that's not even in the Bible. It doesn't say that anywhere. So we had been anticipating the new uh, Kimberly Pierce adaptation of, of Carrie for a while. Yeah, well, concern was delayed. What six months? Uh, it was delayed. Uh, pushed back. I don't well, know what delays. The way arguably, to, to the the point in time that uh, we'd want to see it. Yeah, in October. <laughs> um, and we were excited in in the fact that uh, the cast was solid. We know that Chloe Moretz is. is uh, uh, one of our faves, actually, yeah. of the uh, up-and-comers. Um, and you throw Julianne Moore into the mix here, and she's she's solid. Um, after we've seen it, um, I think this is going to be one of those... If you've never seen the original, this probably plays better. But I saw this movie in 1976. It was called Carrie. Right. Because this literally is a point-for-point point remake. There's there's nothing new here. A lot of times the dialogue, the dialogue is, word word. is exactly the same in a lot of places. And and I have to ding it just, just for being unoriginal. Right. Especially knowing that the rumors are coming out that Kimberly Pierce is going more by the Stephen King book. So we're going to get a lot more of what went on. Which I've never read, to be honest with you. I've never read Carrie. But I didn't see that. that where, where you do see it is, and you and I both remarked about it, the fact that they do more in this one than, than De Palma did with her learning to control her power. Learning to play with it a little bit. And yeah. that was... That was interesting, but it was there still wasn't a much of it. Was enough of it. No, Not to get me to the point where she is in the end, right? And and don't get me wrong. There's a lot, a lot of I love Carrie. I love the story. I love the the, the yeah, 1976 I, flick. It's a very flawed flick, though. There's a lot of things that you don't really know the answers to, even when mm-hmm. it's over. Um, but in that regard, this Kimberly Pierce does nothing to answer any of that stuff right. either. Every flaw from the early movie exists here. Right. First of all, where she got the powers to begin with. Well, they, never really explained. No, they kind of explained, well, it was, my grandmother had it, it missed your generation, mama. But that's convenient. Yeah, and how does she even know this? Right. 
That was it. And the only thing, you, the only way you can get there is from the book she was reading. She read it was hereditary because yeah. she said, "Well, it's hereditary, Mama." Right. But I struggle with how learned she supposedly is too. For a girl who's basically been locked in her house and away from people as much, because they even admitted the fact that her mom had kept her as a homeschool kid until she was forced to do otherwise. You didn't get the impression been that long ago. Right. So. Carrie seemed to be able to navigate herself through high school life pretty easily, granted as the weird quirky kid, but right. still pretty easily as far as what she needed for technological assistance, right. as well as stuff in the library. Yeah. Um, and like I said, this movie's point for point, so we're essentially starting out right into the middle of the shower scene. Yep. Um, of course, the Chloe Moretz is 16, not the 20 that Sissy Spacek was, so... This is a PG-13 version of the shower scene. Um, one of the things that bugged me about the original bugs me here. Carrie, even though they never said she's a senior here, they did in the original. They said that was the senior prom. And if you look at the headstone at the end of this flick, she was 18. So it can be implied that she was a senior here. Girls have their period way before their senior. Right, yeah. It's... Way before. It's not even one of the... I, I don't know any girl that... that hasn't experienced that by the time they're a freshman, probably before that. Mm -hmm. The fact that they still played up that, just, that was one of those things that you could have fixed right. from the first one. And she, But she took no liberties whatsoever in fixing or addressing any of the no. things. There was, there was nothing original here. And I don't, I don't need something that completely reinvents the wheel. But there are some things here that you could have had a different take. I thought that uh, when they redid uh, "Let the Right One In," while there was, it was similar. There were some original takes with mm -hmm. the new flick, and I thought it worked more effectively. This here, there's just nothing original. And if Kimberly Pierce thinks that. That her originality comes from from Carrie blowing up an ashtray as opposed to, in this the place, water the thing. water thing, then it's a complete miss. Right. So, ultimately, what's the point of even making this yeah, and, and Or that, well, in this, they involve Facebook and YouTube. Right, because they didn't exist in the 1970s. Right. So, now, it would be a way that people would trash each other in high school. It would be a post something about on Facebook. It's just modern day bullying. Right. It, it's, it's just... You're not giving people something they don't know is happening. Right. So, or, yeah, her, either she did something now that you couldn't have done then, or she just changed the location of things happening, or changed the, the event, the broken mirror. Instead of happening in their bedroom, it happened in school here. Right. I mean, changing the location doesn't change the fact that it was already done in another movie. Right. And, and that's just it. I think at times she truly believed by changing the location or changing what the item is, it changed the movie. It didn't. It did nothing. All you, you, all you did was change some of the window dressing around it, but it doesn't change the movie. Right. Um, I think the only thing that really saves this is the performances. I thought um, I thought Chloe Moretz was great in in the role. But, if you can accept But she's it. completely miscast exact for that exact point. She's miscast in that there's no way that you believe 
that a girl that's this cute is going to be a victim of that level of right. Now, now, yeah, you can look at the fact that it's it's all about her environment. It's all about what her mom has has done to her. But I, I'm not buying that 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 this version of Carrie is as shunned as would have you believe. Half jokingly, the fun thing is, it's one of those cases where. Mr. C and I had the entire theater to ourselves. So we were going to Mystery Science Theater mode, and we were talking about how off-putting it was that was Chloe. Because Chloe is a great actress, and is growing up to be a beautiful, beautiful... Is a beautiful girl growing up to be a beautiful woman. But, all kidding aside, you put that girl in an average high school, teenage boys are going to be falling all over themselves. Especially if they think she could play the victim here. Uh Uh-huh. The victim is an easy target for teenage boys' affections to try to get some. She's going to get some attention. They didn't do anything to dirty her up or make her so she didn't look like... All she knew was coming in clothes that would make her look creepy. Teenage boy's going to work around that. If she came in looking gross or with bad mm-hmm. teeth or dirty mm-hmm. hair or something... And she didn't. No. No, they didn't do any of that. And that's the way that they should have played it off for Chloe was then find a way to dirty her up. Because she's pretty, then dirty her up a little bit. Or tear the clothes up and give her fucked up teeth or something. Because right. it's still Chloe and she's too pretty. Sissy Spacek, certain angles, this Homely chick was anything but pretty. Homely as hell. Uh-huh. And so you could buy that Sissy Spacek was that outcast girl who just who had the fucked up family. And everyone would look at it and go, I don't know, something's off with that girl. I ain't going near her. Right. Chloe, I never got that. Chloe, I got the impression that... It, if it played, it could have played the stereotype from the '80s movies that if she'd taken her hair, let her hair down, removed her glasses, put on a dress, all of a sudden, vavoom, you'd have the gorgeous chick. In the '80s, we didn't buy that, and I don't buy it now. Right. They could have done more to to, to dumb the look down. Um, Julianne Moore, um, she was fine as as the mom. I think Piper Lori uh, was it Piper Lori. That sounds right. Piper, yes. Piper Lori, I think she was better. In the original. Yep. Um, I, but I will say this. In the original, there was one extra scene that they did early on in the mom that, to me, made it also work for Piper. And that's the one where she's going door to door to the neighbor's house. Mm. trying to. And that scene actually does go a long way with the mom character. Sure. Um, and, and I know in, in this version, they tried to play that piece off as the, the woman coming into the store to get the prize. As the seamstress. Which... Yeah. I didn't get that at all. Why this? Uh, she is who she is. Yet she's she's also in, in the, uh, the dry cleaning business. So. And, and she's <laughs> certainly not going to make outfits for harlots. No, there's no way no. because some of these women are going to want dresses that she could never in a million years make if she believed that that meant it was the devil coming out. Right. So there's an there's an alteration that Kimberly Pierce made that I thought was was just stupid. Right. It would have been more effective to have just kept it in line and had her go storming over to the friend's house to, you know, to cast out the demon child in that for for tormenting her daughter or yep. something. Yeah, that that piece of it didn't work for me at all. Um, another piece that bugs me from the first movie that they didn't do anything with here is just the whole. I feel bad that I took part in bullying Carrie, so to make myself feel better, my boyfriend has to go to the prom with her. Really, 
Because I'm pretty sure your boyfriend is going to put up a lot more of a struggle with that idea than he than he does in mm-hmm. either of these two movies. Okay, I'll go to the prom with her. No, he won't. No. No, if anything, he's going to be, you know what, you dug this hole, you deal with it. No shit. I, I ain't fucking up my prom day to deal with that. Because it'd be one thing, again, if if boyfriend was some nerdy guy who maybe some people thought was in, not the lead player on in this movie, the lacrosse team, that was literally shaking hands and pumping fists with even the teachers as walking down the hall. Right. He's not the one who's going to bite the bullet and go to this goddamn thing. Not with Carrie. Right. It doesn't make sense because he has things at stake here. Like going to school with the cool chick. Right. In, 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 no, in going a, to prom, I'm sorry. In an era, in, 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 in a school that clearly bullying is tolerated... Well, even when the teacher, the poetry teacher, total cockhead. Right, the principal not even really knowing the girls' names and shit like that. Um, There's no way man about campus is going to put himself in that position to take that Mm. level of heat. It's not going to happen. He may be a good guy, but that stretches beyond the boundary of good guy. Especially, and this one especially, is where they really play up... Which I really hated the character. It's the character that Amy Irving played in, in the 76 film. I, I can't remember... I can't actually remember the character's name. Keep talking. But the girl that plays plays that role here, a couple of times, it's kind of like, I feel bad, so you have to fix this by going to the problem. Fuck you. Fix your, fix your own damn problems. Right. Um, I, I don't know how this redeems you. You think you're gonna you're going to... Make Carrie feel better or feel more wanted or something. Sue, Sue, Sue. Snow. Yep, um, more uh, more accepted and stuff by sending your boyfriend to the prom with her. It, no, it doesn't undo a damn thing. No, and it, it just makes you feel yeah. better. And and you're right. And that I, I don't remember if that was in the book or not. It probably was. And yeah, it it is a flaw because it doesn't get how clicks work in high school right. whatsoever. Right. It's totally oblivious to it. You know what I also hated in this movie? You going to the prom montage? The montages. <laughs> there were more than one. There was going to there the prom montage of them all getting... And that's the other... That, that plays back to... This was supposedly the cool kid in school. Right down to the getting a tux montage. Right? <laughs> getting, and getting then what's the, the next montage? montage? They get to the prom. It's the photo montage. Yeah. Everyone getting together. Yeah. Jesus fucking Christ. Montages are bad. Don't give me two of them now. Right. It's the last thing I need to see. I didn't get what they were trying what to we do need here. An eighties fixing up montage. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> that was that was horrible. Absolutely horrible. So being that it's so, I mean, ninety eight percent point for point of the first film. If you hadn't seen the first film, does this film play off better? I believe so. Does it play off as well as like the original would have played off to you back when you saw the first one? Don't know if it plays off as well. And it's impossible well. to really say right. because we, we 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 don't we're not in that situation. And here here's why for me I don't know if if it plays off quite as well. Because I don't believe the first one was as effects driven as this one tried to be. And sometimes right. the CGI effects in this were bad. Mm-hmm. And the one the one and you called it out we were watching it. Sue Snell being thrown out of that house was a horrible effect. Yes. It was miserable. Um, 
Yeah, it... I think it would play out close, but there's something about De Palma's that feels grittier, dirtier, and darker to me than this one does. Yep, I agree with that. Um, but it, it may be an apples and oranges. I mean, it may be like one and one A. If I'd never seen the first carry and this was my entry to it, I think I'd dig it a little more than I did. Um, the the you know, the penultimate scene mm-hmm. at the promise stuff. This version of Carrie. She's a little bit more discerning about... And uses her powers who a little lives, who differently. Dies. Not, it's not just a... Yes. Going down to a place of fury. Um, yeah, because in the original, she's she's just got crazy carry face. And you know she's controlling everything, but you don't get the full sense that maybe she has control of it. It's just going off willy-nilly, and she's just off in a place that she can't stop any of it. In this one here... Carrie clearly is pulling every string. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right down to some of the people she picks and, picks and chooses. But here's my deal. They showed the shot from that stage. This isn't the biggest auditorium. For five minutes they were showing people running away from the stage to get to the outer doors. It was all of 200 feet. Not even. Well, part of me would be that when they pulled out from that and showed, showed you the aerial shot of the entire school not just the gymnasium the entire school is completely engulfed in flames and then 20 minutes later i'm presuming 20 minutes later in the timeline there there's people just sort of still milling around outside nobody would have been allowed the three block radius of this school but keep in mind they showed all two police cars up front no fire trucks well there was one fire truck that was on its way yeah that's right it it fine and two more police cars came um yeah i just you know one of the things that the first one that bugged me was that well it didn't bug me but i'm like where i where i thought she didn't have the full control is that there was no, there was no like random kill. It was everybody dies. Right. Uh, even the people who presumably weren't notably the teacher. Well, notably the gym teacher, uh, and, and even even the day the uh, Tommy Ross, mm-hmm. who clearly and even in her mind, clearly at this point, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe she thought he was involved. Um, but clearly wasn't. As a viewer, clearly he, he was sincere. Mm-hmm. And he was sincere in this one. But she spares him in this one. Uh, she spares the teacher in this one. Um, ultimately spares her friend Sue towards the end. Um, another thing that bugged me about both of them, but especially this one, because they never really... What is it that drives Carrie? What what possesses And I use the term possession because it feels more like a possession than just this telekinetic power. And we, we touched on the fact that, yeah, there's this hereditary angle that they sort of just brush by. But there's also, when, early on in the film, when she's in her closet, in the first one and in this one, you had some sort of indication that, that Jesus crossed there that there was something else there that was malevolent. In the first one, you had the glowing eyes on, on Christ. In this one here, you just had the bleeding Christ. 
which that hammers at home. I could buy the glowing eyes as well. Maybe that's just the statue her mama got. But bleeding cross, on the other hand, right. you can't just poo-poo away as well as a battery in it. Well, in just the fact that I guess I guess they're implying that Carrie is in the first one. Carrie dies, I presume, from her wound, her her stab wound in her back that her mom gave her before Carrie had to take her mom up. Mm -hmm. In this one here, there's no real indication that Carrie necessarily needs to die here. Her, she is still functioning at a point, even with this stab wound, that if she's taken to a hospital, she probably survives this one. Mm -hmm. But it, it, this one implies that she's taking her own life by caving the house in on top of them. Because of her love of mama. Right. And in the first one, like I said, it's implied Carrie dies with Mama just before that piece happens, mm -hmm. or as that piece is happening. What's with the whole house caving in and sinking into the ground and the raining of boulders? That that was fucking weird. The first time they showed a boulder fall from the second floor of the first, they showed it land on like a coffee table. I'm like, I don't know, maybe they had decorations upstairs. But as the scene progressed, and it was just rocks and boulders falling from the sky, yeah. I didn't get it right at all. And you're right; that you brings another layer from the book. No, <laughs> that brings a total different layer. That it was it supposed to be something demonic here, and if so, then all it's doing is all the religious people can now say, "I told you so." See, Carrie was was created by sin, and you get demons. So there you go. And I don't know that makes this any more or less effective. Right. I, I don't know. That that whole thing played out so strangely. Yeah. And I, I, I and especially with the shot of Sue Snell looking at it and seeing the sight as the house is folding in on itself and the rocks just falling from the sky. Right. So I don't know. I don't know even what they're trying to do with it. Um Yeah, like I said, you don't you don't know what they're trying to do with it in the first one. Mm -mm. And I don't remember specifically boulders falling from the sky but i do remember that you had the house after it was gone and then when sue goes to lay the wreath or whatever on, on the little process that was well that was actually i took it to be the actual spot of the house and she stepped down onto a bunch of rocks similar to the rocks you saw in this one well, am I wrong? Was that was that not at the house? Site? Yeah, I always took that as being at, at the grave site, and really? that she that it never actually happened. She'd flat out lost her mind because then cut to her in an insane asylum or in a hospital right, 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 right. getting help. Right. That she could never deal with it. This one, that weird scene then in front of like some Senate committee or some where Sue was getting well, questioned. They're, well, they're trying to figure out how what much, happened. Yeah, how much was Carrie White involved and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. Um, yeah, if you've seen the 76 version, there's no reason to see this. None. Because no. you've you seen just, this. Right, not unless you just want to see Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah. It, literally, it, it's point for point. It, there's, there's, there's nothing, there's not enough difference to say that if you've seen the first one that you haven't seen this one you've seen one you've seen them all right um so that being said just for the sheer I, you know I, I can't even sit here and say that i didn't like the movie but just for the sheer unoriginality 
and pointlessness of it, it's like uh, like a two out of five at best. Well, and that for me, that, I would give it a two out of five and say if I've not seen the first one, I'd probably go two point five or three out of five. Right. Because it would have been that much more entertaining. And I'll I do like some of the additions of the scenes of her walking down the road in the end. But she did that in the first one. They played a little more here, though. Okay. They they certainly did more around the car, around the the lifting of it, and right. and maybe it was that part of me that was like, I, this Chris chick needs to fucking die horribly. Right. right. So, and wanting to see the, the, a good fitting end come to her. But yeah, two out of five seems about fair here. It, at, if, at best, if you've seen the De Palma one, then you have seen this one. This is just. A modern one with slightly upgraded visuals over what you would have remembered the other one to be. That's it. So, that's the Horrorcast 2013. uh, We will probably revisit again in a few weeks, I would say, as as the fall blockbuster season sort of kicks off. And we have Thor The Dark World... Three um, weeks from today, uh, three weeks from today, I'm thinking, is when we'll probably be reconvening. November 8th yeah. is Thor, followed by Catching Fire two weeks after Which that. is going to be a fascinating weekend, because that's super mega fest yeah, weekend. Yeah. Um, well, we'll figure it out. Right. Um, but, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, re- we'll reconvene again in a few weeks uh, with uh, Thor The Dark World. Late. Bye.